Get your Bible open to Psalm chapter 2. Psalm chapter 2. How many of you love the Psalms? Anybody? I love the Psalms. I love the Psalms because the Psalms uh, show us what normal believers go through. And I thank God for David and others who wrote the Psalms because you get to see the, their guts. You get to see what they were struggling with. You get to see them uh, sometimes frustrated with God, sometimes full of doubt, sometimes full of pain. Their bodies racked with pain, sometimes overwhelmed, enemies. But how many of you know the, the, the Psalms are a book of praises? In fact, in the Hebrew, that word psalm means praises. It's a praise book. It's a, it, it is a, an instructional book on warfare. It's an instructional book on how to live our lives. And So how many of you know, what, if you've read through the Psalms, David never writes a downer psalm. Have you figured that? Some of them start off downer, but they never end down. They always end by making declarations of who God says he is and what the promises of God are for David's life. So I just want to encourage us as we look through this hymn book, most of these psalms were put to music. They were sung to the Lord. Some of our music we sing today is, is off of those very psalms. Um, but I also want you to know this little play on words. It's not only a hymn book. It's a hymn book, H-I-M book, because the Psalms are a collection of messianic prophecies about Jesus. So we not only sing hymns, but we sing about him. And Psalm 2 is a messianic psalm. And I don't know about you, but a lot of times I feel like my job as a pastor is just to be a cheerleader for Jesus. I just get, this isn't my stuff, this is his stuff. So the reason I chose Psalm 2 to kick us off is I can't think of a more power-packed, in-your-face, this is who God is, this is what God has done with his son, Psalm, for us to launch into this series, which will run probably through the end of August. But I want you to turn to Psalm 2, and I want you to see this is like a Broadway play that's being unfolded here, because there's four acts with three different verses, 12 verses, Four acts, three verses, and, uh, and I want to unpackage this this morning. We know this is a psalm of David because it's referred to in Acts chapter 4, verse 25. David is attributed with, it, with these words. So this is a psalm of David. I want to begin reading the first three verses here, and we look at the first act, which is an angry mob that's raging against God, all right? It says, why are the nations so angry? The King James Version says, raging. Why do the nations rage? Why do they waste their time with futile plans or, or vain plans, hopeless, impossible plans? The kings of the earth prepare for battle, and the rulers plot together against the Lord and against his anointed one, Jesus Christ. And look what they say in verse 3. Let us break their chains, they cry, and free ourselves from slavery to God. Now, this first act is a powerful act because it, it, it pictures for us a battle that has been going on through the ages. That battle goes all the way back to Genesis chapter 3. If you want to look in Genesis chapter 3, we see the battle. It says, and I will cause hostility between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring, and he will strike your head and you will strike his heel. This is a decree from God the Father declaring that there's going to be a battle raging on planet earth for the souls of human beings, uh, and we see that there, are, uh, that there is Satan and those who are empowered by Satan who are raging against God, and then we see God's people who are fighting in the midst of this conflict. And so here in the first three verses, we see Satan, 
uh, the usurper, the traitor, the seditious snake, raging in conflict against God, the rightful creator, and the king of the cosmos. And I want you to see four things this morning about the nature of hell's hostility toward God Almighty. First thing about it is it's deep-seated. I just touched on that. It goes all the way back to the garden. But how many of you know this, this anger and this hatred towards God is something that we see in our culture today, but it goes back since the beginning of time? In fact, that's why I love to read history, because I realize that sometimes we can get trapped in the moment and that we think that the things that we're dealing with have never happened before in human history. But how many of you know the hatred against God and against His people goes back as far as to the garden? And we need to be aware that when we see this rising up even in our culture today, that it's nothing new. This is an age-old struggle that's going to be coming to an end at the return of Christ. So it's age-old. Second thing I want you to see here is it's a deliberate battle. They intentionally and they maliciously align themselves in opposition against God. This is an organized struggle. And I want you to see that their rebellion here is planned and it's prepared. The Bible says the rulers plot together. Now, Chris just sent out something interesting that we were praying for. Uh, it was, I don't know if you all saw this, it was all the globalists that were getting together, all the people that are, you know, you couldn't even show up unless you were like a billionaire, all right? It was all the big money people. They were coming together at some, you know, uh, swanky location. And what were they doing? They were plotting and planning and figuring out what powerful rich people like to do, try to figure out how to micromanage your life and control the world. Uh, they're globalists. How many of you know people have been trying to act like God since the beginning? And we still have people trying to act like God. Um, in fact, I just got to say this. That we can't even get government to run something as basic as the post office. But this whole climate change thing... Now they're suggesting we can actually control the climate on planet Earth. Folks, if you believe that, and if you don't see behind this, that this is all about control. It's all about government control. It's all about a consolidation of power globally. This is not about, you know, killing a few cows. If you know, part of the reason for this, of course, is cows pass gas in the fields. And then it raises, you guys realize that's why they're against eating beef. All right, I'm going to move on because that's not my point this morning. I'm just telling you, people are deliberately trying to control you and control planet Earth, and they act like there's no God. Thirdly, this is determined. How many of you figured out people that are, are planning all of this stuff are very determined in what they want to see happen? And lastly, it's destructive. The Bible says that they rage. This is an intense anger and intense hostility. In fact, I just want to tell you, have you ever seen mob behavior? When, when, when We saw it on TV. We saw a lot of cities burning down. We saw just mobs running out of control. But here's the thing. When there is a demonically inspired hatred against God, it is ir irrational in nature. It does not make sense. People just out of control. They get filled with rage. 
It is irrational, it's defiant, it's open rebellion against God. Uh, We see just this kind of uncontrollable rage that's released in people's hearts. And in fact, this passage is quoted in Acts chapter 4, verses 25 through 27, talking about during Jesus' life, Herod and Pontius Pilate uh, and the, uh, the Jewish leaders were all working together to destroy Christ and to destroy the church. I mean, you know, there are movements right now in the earth that are working to destroy and snuff out the church. They hate the church. They hate God's people. They hate Christians. Uh, they slaughter them. They try to exterminate them. This is happening all over the globe. It certainly happened uh, with God's people, the Jews over history, and it certainly happens with, with, with the church right now. Look at what Psalm 37, you can follow on the screen, Psalm 37 verse 12. The wicked plot against the godly. And look at this. This is the, this is the internal rage that's coming out. It says they snarl They snarl at them in defiance. But the next verse, verse 13, says this, but the Lord just laughs, for he sees their day of judgment coming. So imagine, have you ever been around somebody that's so angry that they're just like, like seething with anger, snarling with anger? In fact, look at this next verse I have for you. Psalm 112, verse 10, says the wicked grind their teeth in anger grind their teeth. This is the rage that's coming out of them. Here's the question that we need to ask. What is the reason for this rage and rebellion? David, or the psalmist here, David said, this, let, let us break their chains, they cry, and free ourselves from slavery to God. How many of you know the heart of what people hate about Christ and about his church at the heart is that they simply refuse to submit to the absolute authority of God and to the boundaries that God has placed around our lives. Have you noticed in our culture today, let's just take sexual ethics, sexual ethics. God has prescribed amazing sexual uh, fulfillment, procreation, pleasure within the bounds of the marriage covenant, has he not? He said, in other words, find your spouse, marry your spouse, be committed to your spouse, and enjoy sexual relations with your spouse. Look at all the lines we have willingly crossed in our culture today. We cross over the line of premarital sex. We cross over the line of cohabitation. We cross over uh, adultery, keeping sex within the bounds of marriage after we're married. Now we're crossing over, we're saying, oh no, God didn't make two genders. He made a gazillion genders. Oh, you don't have to be the gender God created you. You can make up your own. You can be whatever gender you want to be. It's not that God gave you your gender. You get to make it up. Now we have, we crossed the line with homosexuality. So now God says, no, men should not have sex with other men. Well, we're going to flaunt that. We're going to say that's the way that we were born. We're going to have uh, women having sex with other women. God said, no, that's not how I created it. We crossed that line. I mean, you know, we're, we've crossed just about every line possible. And in fact, one of, the, uh, one of the strategies of Satan is to find every moral distinction and to ab- absolutely destroy it and erase it. And so what I want you to see is what's at the root of all this? It is an absolute rebellion against God as it relates to how he created us and his ownership over us. It is rebellion against God. We actually think that God's beautiful boundaries are chains that he's somehow trying to keep us from enjoying life or enjoying life to the full. The psalmist says in Psalm 36 verse 1, sin whispers to the wicked deep within their hearts. They have no fear of God at all. This is what's going on in the heart of wicked people. No fear of God at all. 
Where, God, where God's law creates liberty, these people only see chains. And I like what James said in James 1.25. He referred to Scripture, and this is a great illustration for Scripture. He called it the perfect law that sets you free. How many of you have found that the law of God does not lead to slavery, it leads to liberty and freedom? And when you obey the law of God, you're blessed. When you kick down the walls that God has established, you end up getting off into all kinds of messes. And you know what? Thank God for His mercy. This is a church that that takes care of messes. Amen? We've all experienced going our own way. We've all experienced the pain of living in sin. Uh, But we've all also experienced the beauty of being able to come back to the Lord and come back to healing and restoration. So the opening response is a picture of planet Earth right now. It is an open rebellion against the authority of God. It is a seething hatred for everything holy and right and true. And the nations are literally raging and shaking their fists at God, wanting to be free from His laws. Now, how many of you have seen this in public policy? I've been out at the State House. We've tried to stand for righteousness. If you've been out at the uh, Planned Parenthood to stand for the unborn, you have seen people wave certain fingers at you. Everybody know what I'm talking about. People will cuss you out in a second. People will tell you, mind your own business. I don't care about your Bible. I don't care about your God. There is such venom and such hatred that is directed towards God and towards His people. Now look at the second act, because I want you to see God's response. This is verses 4 through 6. This is the response of God Almighty. But the one who rules in heaven laughs. The Lord scoffs at them. And then in anger he rebukes them, terrifying them with his fierce fury. And this is what the Lord says in verse 6. For the Lord declares, notice he's making a spoken declaration, which is what he wants us to do. I have placed my chosen king on the throne in Jerusalem on my holy mountain. Now, I want you to see some things about God's response. While the nations are shaking their fists at God, God does not even get off his throne. In other words, there's not even enough of an issue there that God has to stand up to deal with it. I mean, you know, God is firmly seated in the heavens, and his throne is not shaken. And I just want to encourage you this morning, we need to read the passages of Scripture that properly establish the greatness of God and the power of God and the might of God, because when something comes at you, you need to have something to stand on that's secure. And I'm telling you, if God laughs at sin and God laughs at rebellion and God laughs at what the enemy is trying to do, I think he should have a church that learns to laugh with him. I've told you in my own testimony, times in my life when Marion and I faced challenges and there was nothing we can do about it because it was overwhelming at the time. And what we did is we sat down and we just laughed at the devil. We laughed at him. You're not going to rob our joy. You're not going to win in this situation. You're not going to devour our seed. You're not going to attack our family. You're not, you're not, you're not. We laugh at you in Jesus' name. There's something that the devil hates when he gives you his best shot, and you laugh. God laughs at the enemy, and he laughs at what's going on in in the earth today, and then then he rebukes. The laughter turns to holy rebuke, and he begins to, uh, in anger, rebuke the enemy, terrifying them with his fierce fury. He calls what they're doing a futile thing, a vain thing. It's going to amount to nothing. Here's why it's going to amount to nothing. Look at Psalm 135, verse 6, one of my favorite power verses. The Lord does whatever pleases him. 
Can we just read that again together? Say it with me. The Lord does whatever pleases him. Notice throughout all the heavens and the earth and on the seas and in their depths. This is what I want you to understand, and this should give you great comfort. God does whatever he pleases. The enemy does not twist the plans of God, stop the plans of God, trip the plans of God. God works through the enemy to accomplish his own plans. So we see a mighty, powerful king who's ruling, a king who's still seated, a king who's laughing, a king who's rebuking. And I want you to notice this too. All throughout human history, do you remember when Pharaoh tried to wipe out and oppress God's people? You all remember that story? Uh, and, and in fact, he said, I want you to kill all the, the, chi- the Hebrew children. When they're born, throw them in the river, the Nile River, and destroy them. You all remember that? And I see God laughing because what did God do? God had his, his son, Moses, rescued and raised in Pharaoh's own house to be the deliverer of his people. God got a big kick out of that. There's the most powerful man on the earth shaking his fist in defiance to God Almighty, and God's raising up his deliverer in Pharaoh's own house. Pharaoh's paying for, the, paying for everything. How many of you remember when when God got captured by the Philistines. Remember that? When Israel, I, I say that tongue-in-cheek, it was the Ark of the Covenant. You remember the Ark of the Covenant? They thought they'd bring out the Ark like as a good luck charm, and God's like, I'm not a good luck charm. You guys aren't living for me. You're not submitted to me. And God allowed himself to get captured. Do you remember that? His presence. What'd they do? What'd they do with, with the Ark? They brought it into the temple of their Philistine god, Dagon. Remember Dagon? <laughs> Here's what the glory of God did to Dagon. The next day, Dagon's flat on his face. Somebody knocked Dagon over. His head's cut off. His arms are cut off. Dagon's laying there like a stump on the ground. I think God was laughing that he allowed himself to get captured. Oh no, the bad Philistines have me. Are you kidding me? God just absolutely destroyed their idol, and had their idol fall down on, on his face before God Almighty and before the presence of the Lord. How I many of you know God's always got a trick up his sleeve? And whatever the enemy's trying to do is nothing compared to the power of God. So I want to build your faith today. I, I don't know what's going on in our nation right now. There's a lot of people mad at God, shaking their fists at God. There's a lot of power people working behind the scenes, trying to come up with their strategies for global takeover and all this kind of stuff, defeating America. I believe this, as long as we are aligned with the Lord Jesus Christ, the King of glory, God is on our side. We're on his side. He's working things out. And you need to hear the laughter of heaven because it's not, I'm just telling you, there's nothing that big to sweat over when you know the Lord. So he's seated, he's laughing, he's rebuking, and here's what he's saying. Hey guys, it's too late. I've already set my son, my chosen son, as king of kings and lord of lords, and I've already placed him on the throne. So the very thing you're raging against has already happened. Now, can I share something with you? There are many people, and even some denominations, that teach that Christ's kingdom is not coming until the end, that his 
lordship is not going to come, at least not fully, until the end. Now listen, I believe there is a culmination of Christ's kingdom, but how many of you know when God raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand, he is ruling and he has all authority right now. He's making his enemies his footstool. Let me give you some proof for this because it changes the way we pray. It changes the way we approach things. Look at Romans chapter 14, verse 9. Christ died and rose again for this purpose, to be Lord, to be absolutely in charge, the sovereign king of both of the living and the dead. When is Christ Lord? Right now. Look at John chapter 17, verse 2. For you have given him, Jesus, over everyone. When did that happen? It's happening right now. Look at Matthew 28, the Great Commission. Jesus came and told his disciples, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. I have been given all authority. When is Jesus saying this? On the occasion of his ascension. We are moving right now under the lordship of our king and the authority of our king. And this is why it is important. We'll probably do a series on this because we need to get it. Moving in the authority of the believer. The authority that we've been given is the authority of Jesus Christ as Lord. He is reigning even now. And look at Ephesians 1.22. God has put all things, everybody say all things, under the authority of Christ and has made him head over all things. Everybody say that again. All things for the benefit of his church. How many of you know Philippians chapter 2? Every knee is going to bow, every tongue is going to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. When? He's Lord right now. But there's a time coming when he's going to exercise the fullness of his lordship. His kingdom is going to come in its fullness, but how many of you know it's already been inaugurated and we're living in the reality of the kingdom dimension even now? This is important because God laughs and he laughs because he's already taken his son his anointed son, and placed him on the throne. He is king of kings, lord of lords. He is the rightful ruler over the nations of the world. That's the message we declare. And listen, that's the message that gets you in trouble because it's a message of authority. And the world and evil nations don't want to submit to that authority. Now look at the next verse, Acts 3, verses 7 through 9. Now the Messiah, Jesus Christ, the anointed one, declares his rights of sovereignty, and he warns the traitors of their pending doom. He says this, the king proclaims the Lord's decree. The Lord said to me, you are my son, and today I have become your father. Look at verse 8, only ask, and I will give you the nations as your inheritance, the whole earth as your possession. You will break them with an iron rod, and you will smash them like clay pots. Now, how many of you have seen in the Bible, one of the prerogatives of a sovereign is that they have the ability to give up to half of their kingdom away, right? Remember when when, uh, Esther came before the king? He asked her, what does she want? He was willing to give her whatever she wanted. We see this. This is the power of sovereign authority and kings. Remember the, the wicked situation with John the Baptist when she asked for his head on a platter, and, and he had to deliver it because he gave his word. This is the power of kings. When, when, when God the Father says to his son, ask of me, that means he is placed in, in the hands of his son the ability to pray and to intercede. And what does Jesus intercede for? 
the nations of the world which are rightfully his. How do the nations of the world become Christ? Well, part of it is the Great Commission, right? We go to the nations. We preach the gospel. Uh, And I want to say this. Every missionary movement ever in the history of the church was not birthed out of a tiny, puny, weak vision of God. It was birthed out of a huge, global, all-encompassing, powerful vision of God where we realized Jesus said, I have sheep and other pastures they must hear also. And the reason people would go to scary places because they believed Jesus was king, and that when they went there and preached the gospel, he would, he would rule and reign and bring his kingdom into the hearts of the people that were there. If you don't have a bold vision of God, and you don't have an understanding of authority, you will not step out into the darkness. You'll be afraid of the darkness. But when you understand God has set his son on his throne now, and he is bringing nations under his sway, And he has called the church to go and to move in that power and to move in that authority. That is what launches missionary movement. That causes us to do bold things because we have a big, powerful, awesome God who laughs at wickedness and evil and evil people. And that vision of God has to be burning in your heart or you're never going to do anything bold for the Lord. This is what establishes faith. Revelation chapter 11, verse 15. This world has now become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ and he will reign forever and ever. That's the vision that burns within us. Now let me ask you one other thing, or or flesh out one other thing here. Look at verse nine. He's going to break them with an iron iron rod and smash them like clay pots. How many of you know when you take an iron rod, there's nothing more strong than an iron rod, and you just hit one of those clay pots, they shatter in a million pieces. I think the picture that God's getting here is a couple of things. Number one, his, his strength and his power are absolute. And all the idols of the world are like little clay pots. Bam! And they shatter in a million pieces. Now here's the balance I want you all to get. This kind of preaching is not being preached from pulpits in America today. You know what's being preached? Jesus died on the cross for your sins. He loves you all so much. And uh, he's not willing that any should perish. I mean, that's all good preaching so far. That's good preaching. But almost as if God's just saying, you know what, I'm really sorry for all of you that didn't choose me and, and um, you know, it breaks my heart. Um, but what you're not hearing is there's a judgment coming. And, and there's a holy anger. Because God's saying, why have you rejected me? And why have you rejected my son? And why have you resisted my authority? And why, why have you taken my laws and pushed them aside? Why have you erased my boundaries? Why have you trampled me and truth? And I'm just telling you, God's not happy with that. There is a holy anger in God. You say, well, God wouldn't get mad. Well, grabbing an iron rod and smashing a bunch of clay pots is not something you do when you're happy. God is real, and God is awesome, and God is powerful, and God is wise, and God is holy, and there's, there's a day coming, and, and it, this, should, this should cause us to be sober-minded and not live loosey-goosey lives. It should cause us to, to, to think about how we're living, because he's coming, and he's coming with an iron rod. In fact, let's go to New Testament. Luke chapter 19, verse 27, this is not in your notes, but Jesus ends this parable about the talents, and he says, as for those enemies of mine 
who didn't want me to be their king. Bring them in and execute them right here in front of me. As for those enemies of mine who did not want me to be their king, bring them here in front of me and execute them. That's how that parable ends. How many think this is kind of serious? <laughs> There's a day coming when we stand before the judgment throne of God Almighty. And that will not be the time for warm hugs and embraces. That's, that's iron rod clay pot time. That's what that time is. That's when it's too late. That's when we missed our opportunity. And so let's look at the last stanza here, the last act. Act 4, verses 10 through 12. This is an admonition for us right now. Now then, you kings, all you, war- you rulers of the world, I would say this prophetically, all those of you that are leading nations right now, listen up, you rulers of the world. Act wisely. Be warned, you rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with reverent fear or awe. Rejoice with trembling. Verse 12, submit to God's royal son or kiss the son or he will become angry and you will be destroyed in the midst of all your activities. For his anger flares up in an instant, but what joy for all those who take refuge in him. Now, I mean, you know, this is a messianic psalm. This is a psalm about Jesus. This is a psalm that points to Christ and to his reign. And this psalm ends with a final invitation to don't live a life that rejects God. Don't live a life that that is an insult to Jesus. In fact, that phrase, kiss the sun, in the King James Version, kiss the sun, it's a picture of when you would come before a king in in the olden days, you didn't just come strutting in. First of all, you had to be invited in, right? You had to be invited in. And then when you came before the king, you would bow your knee because you recognized his sovereign authority and you would kiss his hand. You would kiss his ring. What was that all about? What you were saying is, I'm willingly, joyfully submitting myself under your rule and reign and I'm kissing because it's a sign of affection. This is not a a burden. This is not an obligation. I'm serving you, O king, out of the loyal heart, a faithful heart, a joyful heart, a grateful heart. I'm living under your rule and your reign, and I'm so glad to be living in your kingdom. It's a picture of adoration. It's a picture of worship. That word worship in in the Greek means to kneel and kiss the hand of God. What do we do on Sunday when we worship the Lord? This is what we do in our hearts, right? And sometimes with our bodies. We bow, we kiss. Notice the mixture. It's reverence. There's some trembling because you're coming before God, not the big guy upstairs. How I many you know, when, listen, when we hear people talk about God like that, how I many you know we've lost a proper reverence for God? Or, you know, God's my homeboy. Uh, no. Don't wear that shirt on the great day. <laughs> we cannot get too familiar with the greatness of God or get too loosey-goosey. 
which means, listen, how you live your life matters. It means in your heart of hearts, are you kissing the son? It means, have you submitted to his proper authority over your life? Have you embraced it as good? I don't know about you, I'd rather be a servant of the Lord than a servant of Satan any day. But Bob Dylan got it right, you are gonna serve somebody. You're gonna serve somebody. The issue is always authority. And here's the, here's the question I ask you. Ha, have you submitted to the authority of the Son of God as King of kings and Lord of lords? I got a couple more passages here before we close. Isaiah 60, verse 12. For the nations that refuse to serve you will be destroyed. Wow. How about Psalm 22, verse 27 and 28? The whole earth will acknowledge the Lord and return to him. All the families of the nations will bow before him. For royal power belongs to the Lord, and he rules all the nations. Look at Psalm 37, verse 20. But the wicked will die. The Lord's enemies are like flowers in a field. They will disappear like smoke. When I read verses like this, it causes me to stand in awe of the greatness of God. But listen to me, when God laughs, it's terrifying to his enemies. It's comforting to his people. Have you ever been in a situation where something's going on and maybe you fell down or you weren't hurt or not, you're a little kid, and all of a sudden your daddy picks you up and holds you in his arms and he laughs and says, it's going to be okay. You're going to be okay. It's going to be all right. And he laughs. The laughter of God is comforting to God's people. It's terrifying to God's enemies. In church, I just want to say this. We're coming into a season when, here's what, here's what burns in my heart. It's got a couple minutes here. When you see Jesus exalted in his rightful place as Lord of the nations, do you ever picture in your mind, as far as the eye can see, a multitude, the Bible says in Revelation, that you can't even count people from every nation, tribe, language, the greatest to the least, all bowing before Jesus. It's gonna be the most awesome time of worship. And his enemies scattering. The Bible says they melt like wax in the presence of the Lord. I mean, you know, this is an awesome, powerful moment. The fear of God should be in our hearts so that when we, on Sunday when we sing and we rejoice and we tell the Lord how much we love him, there's also a sense of his presence here that's so big, it's so great. And you know, when you see sometimes in this life, it looks like the devil's winning. We see, you know, I'm looking at what's going on in communist China right now with just the brutal treatment of Christian people. Remember all the horrific stuff we saw from ISIS a couple years back, right? Just stuff that makes you weep as a father, some of the things going on. The wickedness in the world today, the devil raging against God. And sometimes it breaks my heart. But then I get reminded that you know what? This is only for a moment. And the king is coming. And he has a a rod of iron in his right hand. And listen to me. Yes, God is loving. And yes, God is full of mercy. And yes, God is full of grace. But God is going to punish evildoers. What is one of the major themes all through the book of Psalms? The life of the wicked versus the life of the godly. 
We're going to get into Psalm 1 here in a few weeks. The life of the wicked, the life of the godly. Do a study on wicked in, in the Psalms. Look up every passage that talks about the wicked. And then look up every passage that talks about the godly. And I'll tell you one thing, you want to be as godly as you could possibly be when you see what is in store for the wicked and you see what is in store for the godly. So listen, we're going to have a compassionate heart for lost people. People that are raging against us, we're going to love them because you know what? There's still time. And that's, that's what he said. There's still time. God rebukes them. You know, when you get a rebuke from a parent, and I've had a few rebukes, I've received a few, I've given a few. Do you know that a rebuke is an act of mercy? I've looked at my kids before and said, knock it off. I didn't have to put the addition on because they knew the or else. Knock it off. We don't act this way. We don't talk this way. We don't behave this way. How many know that rebuke is an act of mercy? Because it's saying, you can't continue to live this way without dire consequences. So when God rebukes us, says stop it or, or convicts us, you know, one of the greatest compliments I heard about our church at starting point was a, a person that said this, I'm so grateful to be able to come to a church where I actually feel the conviction of the Holy Spirit. How you know when you feel convicted in your heart, like, oh, I shouldn't have said that, looked at that, thought that way, acted that way. That conviction is a gift from God. Because he's saying, I love you so much, don't act that way. Change your behavior. And if you don't have a reverent fear of God, you know, this is what fathers do and how we discipline. And I have to tell my kids, don't talk to my wife in that tone. It's disrespectful. I'm helping them. What does God do? He says, don't live this way. It's disrespectful. Don't act that way. It's disrespectful. Because there's a day coming. Every knee is going to bow. Every tongue is going to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Every human being that has ever breathed a breath will be on their face before Jesus. Picture that. That's how awesome he is. Everyone falling on their face before God. And those that don't know him, trembling. If you don't know the Lord this morning, I hope there's a tremble in you. If you're not living for God this morning, I hope there's a trembling going on inside of you because we will never live in, in the kind of glory God wants if there's mixture and if we don't treat the Lord the way he wants to be treated and we don't honor his presence and we don't respond to him, which is why I want to encourage you. Sometimes we come in here on Sunday, we've had a bad week. Maybe we, we got into it with our spouse on the way here. Thank God for worship time because you know what you get to do you get to repent that's why sometimes people people are up here at the altar what are they doing at the altar they're just getting their heart right with God don't go through the motions Here, here's the voice of the Holy Spirit kiss the Son kiss the Son kiss the Son because the time is coming when you can no longer kiss it's too late because he's coming to judge. And there, there will be righteous judgment. There will be a reckoning of all things. Every evil nation will be judged. Every wicked person will be judged. And God takes, listen, God takes no delight in judging wicked people. He says that. But he also is not the kind of God that just sweeps things under a rug and acts like it doesn't matter. Listen, man, it's important that we struggle with pure hearts before God. It's important how we treat our wives. It's important how we discipline our children. It's important the integrity that we have. We're God's people. Kiss the sun. 
Kiss the sun. Kiss the sun. Keep listening to the laughter of God. It means you win. He is undefeated. We sang about it this morning. Keep the laughter of God in your heart. Keep the joy of God in your heart. What, what else could we be doing with our lives that's better than this? So let's live with joy. Let's live with trembling. Let's live with a sense of awe. Let's not worship a God who's so tiny and predictable that we can just treat him like a little pet. God is awesome, and he's powerful, and he moves in the nations even now. And Psalm 2 tells us that is the only hope that we have, is that kind of big, awesome, powerful God. I have seated, set my son on his throne. That's the Jesus we worship. He's seated next to the right hand of the Father. And you know what he's doing? He's ruling right now. Lord Jesus, we honor your power today. We honor your authority today. We yield to you. We bow our knee and we kiss your hand. And Lord, we do it out of joy because the hand that we're kissing has a nail scar right in the middle of it that reminds us that you loved us so much you gave your life for us. God, I pray that holy conviction would come back into our hearts. Lord, where we're out of place, let us know, rebuke us in our hearts so that we can adjust our hearts to you, Lord. I just pray today there might be people that need to repent. Don't be in a hurry. Before you leave, bow your head where you're at or come up and pray with somebody, but just get your life right with God this morning. Make sure you know that you're submitted and you're in alignment to the Lord in a proper way. Father, we love, we honor you, God. We, we thank you for the power of Psalm 2, and we thank you for what's coming. Lord, help us to be ready, and help us to be faithful, Jesus, faithful to you in this hour in which we live. We pray this all in Christ's name, and everybody said, amen, amen, amen. Hey, have a great day today. If you need prayer, come on down. Marriage class at four. All right, love you all.